too, okay? All right, I want to begin first by reading the scriptures to you, with you. You read along. Exodus chapter 2 and uh, verse 10. We, we looked at the first nine or ten verses last week, and we talked about Moses. And the, the, the operative word, as we think about Moses and his life, is redeemed. In fact, the book of Exodus is known as the book of redemption. It's the story of the redemption of Israel being bought out. That's what the word redeem means, to, to buy back. They were bought out of slavery. God bailed them out of slavery in Egypt and led them to the promised land. The exodus, that's literally what it means to exit. They make their exit out of the land of Egypt. And God first, though, redeemed Moses. Because he was, his life was condemned uh, under the order of the Pharaoh, the king. All Hebrew male children that were born were to be killed. And Moses' mom took him when he was three months old. She couldn't hide him any longer. She took him and put him in that little basket, that little ark. And she let it go into the Nile River. And just literally putting him in God's hands. And you remember who found him. The Pharaoh's daughter, the princess of all Egypt, found the baby Moses she opens up the basket. She, she looks at the baby. He bellows out a cry. And she reaches in and she picks him up. And then she says, verse, here in verse 10, And the child grew, and she, Moses' real mother, brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name, Pharaoh's daughter called his name Moses. And she says, because I drew him out of the water. The name Moses means drawn out. You could say it means bought back. Moses' name is a name of redemption. So she's saying, I rescued you. It's like anytime Moses says his name, he's saying, I'm the rescued one. I'm the one that was rescued out of the Nile River. Well, Christian, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a rescued one. You are one who has been redeemed. And like Moses, you've been redeemed for a purpose. And today we're going to talk about finding purpose in life. About you finding your purpose, what God has made you and saved you to be. We're going to begin talking about it today. Let's look back at the scriptures in verse 11 now. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren, meaning the other Hebrews, and looked on the burdens, on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. 
But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to Reuel, their father, he said, How is it that ye are come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and also drew water enough for us, and watered the flock. And he said unto his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that ye have left the man? Call him that he may, that he may eat bread. And also take one of them off his hands. He's trying to unload a daughter. He's got seven daughters. 20, verse 21. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses Zipporah his daughter. I told you. Verse 22. And she bare him a son. And he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. It came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them. Let's pray. Dear God, we come to you this morning. We say thank you for the gift of the Word of God, for the gift of salvation, for the opportunity to be redeemed from a life of sin and from the consequences of sin, which is hell and separation from you for eternity. Thank you for salvation. And we thank you also this morning that we have a purpose, that we can find your purpose for us. Life would be so meaningless without you. Help us to seek after you. Help us to follow you. Lead us, we pray, even now. Direct us. Make us assured of your purpose for us. We pray that you would use us for your glory because we believe that you have a plan for each one of us, that you have a plan for this church, for these people. I pray that you would help us to know what it is and to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Looking at ourselves or anything or even anyone other than Jesus Christ to find life's purpose will be at best frustrating and at worst dangerous. Moses was redeemed from the river. His life was spared and God did that for a specific reason. And now Moses is on a quest. He seems a little out of control, doesn't he? Moses is on a quest to find what his purpose is. Why God has done this. What about us? Why has God done this for us? What's our purpose? If Jesus is your Savior, 
You've been redeemed for a purpose. Your life has meaning and value to God. Think about that. You're valuable to God. Did you know that? That you're valuable to Him? You're something precious to Him. Just like your own children are valuable to you. If God is your Father, if He's your Savior, then you're valuable to Him. You're precious to Him. You're worth something. He wants to do something in your life and through your life. I began this morning by directing your attention to God's Word, Psalm 63 and verse 7, which I'll read for you again. And it says, Because thou hast been my help, therefore the shadow of thy, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Because God has been your help. How has God helped you? Well, if Jesus is your Savior, He's helped you. He saved you. He's brought you under His wings. He's brought you under His care. Now you can rejoice in that, but it's, it doesn't end there. I said to you last week that this is just the, just the very beginning of Moses' story. In fact, Moses doesn't even know what God's going to do yet. He still doesn't know as, we, as we'll leave him this week. He doesn't exactly know what God's going to do with him. But if you'll place yourself under God's wings, if you'll find his purpose for your life and submit yourself to it, then you can rejoice. The psalmist says, I will rejoice. Are you rejoicing in the Lord? We're told to rejoice always, but it's impossible to rejoice really, truly, if you are keeping yourself outside of God's purpose and plan for your life. If you feel that you have no cause for joy, I would ask you, are you sure he's your redeemer, your savior? And I would ask you, have you placed yourself under his care? Have you yielded to him? And I think if you can answer yes, you will see God uh, bring joy to your life. I want to I uh, give the message to you this way. Three, three things about God's purpose for your life. Okay? Three things. Number one, our purpose is, is first finding God's purpose for us. Our purpose is to do just that, to find God's purpose. That's step number one. That should be your plan. Moses seems to have this innate desire in him, inside of him, in his heart, to help his people be free. And I think this is something that God put in Moses' heart. Now, Moses is going about it the wrong way in our text. Okay, This wasn't God's plan. Moses has made a great mistake here. Moses, let's, hey, who, who is it that God gave the Ten Commandments to? Moses. We call it the law of Moses. Okay, The Bible calls it the law of Moses. Jesus says that. One of those laws is thou shalt not kill. Thank you, Rusty. Kill. Isn't it interesting that the person that God gave the law to broke it? He himself commit, commits murder. It's not exactly cold-blooded, but he's killed a man. 
Moses has blood on his hands. Look, this isn't God's plan. This wasn't God's plan for Moses' life. Moses should first try to find God's purpose. Now, Moses has this innate desire. I mean, it's like it's naturally there. It's like he's, he's looked at his life. He knows his history. I believe he knows his birth family. You know, he's given, uh, he's put under the care of Pharaoh's daughter um, when he's very young, age of three months. It appears that he knows his family. He knows he's a Hebrew. The word Hebrew gives idea of, of foreigner, stranger in the land. Moses naturally identifies with his people. Okay? He's grown up in the lap of luxury. He's been given an education, no doubt, like any other Egyptian. And did you notice as we read the last part of chapter 2 that when, when uh, Moses runs to the land of Midian and those seven daughters meet him, they tell their dad, an Egyptian rescued us. Moses isn't an Egyptian, but he looks like one. He was raised like one. Probably talked like one. Okay? As I'm sure really all the Hebrew people did. But uh, he's identified as that. He's recognized as that by people. But in his heart, he's a Hebrew. In his heart, he's a son of Abraham. And he knows it. And he looks at his people. He sees what they're going through. And he wants to do something about it. It's commendable. Isn't it? I mean, wouldn't it kind of be a cool story? If it worked out this way, Moses kills the Egyptian and all the other Hebrews rise up and there's a revolt and they go to war and they win their independence. and like That would be an awesome Hollywood movie. But this is not God's plan. And guess what? It doesn't work out that way. But one thing you have to say about Moses is he has a desire in his heart. And something else you need to say. To commend him for is that he sees the injustice and the abuse. He doesn't turn a blind eye to his people. If anybody could have disowned these people, it's him. He's almost in the same position as Joseph. Remember generations before when Joseph is there in the land? He looks like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. His brothers don't even recognize him. But he chose to identify with them. He reaches out to them and does something to help them. And brings his father and everyone down. So, one thing you say, have to say about Moses is, and this is kind of a requirement for finding your purpose, God's purpose for you, is having your eyes open. We can't just live in our own little world. We can't put ourselves in our own little bubble and just live for us. If anyone had the had an opportunity to live selfishly and look out for number one and just enjoy the good life, it was Moses, but he does not do that. I want to show you a scripture in Hebrews chapter 11.
This is what God says about Moses in Hebrews 11 and verse 24. I'll give you a second to turn there. Hebrews 11 and verse 24. The Bible says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. in Egypt. For he had respect under the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Our purpose is finding God's purpose for our lives. Okay, That's our number one goal. When a person sees themselves as God sees them, and I'm, I'm talking about believers, how does God see you? He sees you as a son and a daughter of Him. Joint heirs with Christ. If you've been born again, you're born into God's family. He sees you as a blood-bought, redeemed individual. And it's natural for you to want to know what God wants you to do in your life. The Christian life is so much more than, oh, well, I'm a Christian now, so God wants me to obey the Bible. Well, of course he does. Of course he does. But there's so much more to it than that. It's about purpose. It's about meaning. It's about placing yourself in his hands so that he can do something with you. I want you to see another scripture before we move on. And it's in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. If you're sitting here this morning and you say, I know I'm saved, I know Jesus Christ, and that I've been born again. But I don't, I don't think I know what my purpose is. I don't know where to go from here. I want to encourage you to do something. Study this book, the book of Ephesians. I've been doing this myself lately. I've been studying through this book. And I've been looking through. And I've, what I did first was I, I used a, an e-reader so I didn't have to mark my Bible all up. But I, I used an e-reader and I read through uh, the, this book of the Bible. And I underlined everything Every phrase like in Christ or through Christ or in his power or through his strength. And uh, there are a lot of marks all over, all over my Bible with phrases like that through each chapter of this book. And now I'm going through and I'm rereading it and I'm looking at those phrases and I'm, I'm answering this question all the time. Who am I? In Christ. Because of Jesus, who am I? Who am I to God? And in that, I'm finding purpose. God's assuring me of things, of His purpose and His work in my life and through my life. And He'll do that for you if you'll study His Word and 
not just in Ephesians, but elsewhere. I would encourage you to do that. Make a, make a personal study of this book of the Bible, the book of Ephesians. But I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 2, and let's just read a few verses here. Verse 1, and you, now hold on, before I go any further, I want you to remember who Paul's writing to. He's writing to a church like this. He's writing to believers, okay, people who are saved. He's writing to them, and, he's ex- and these are Gentiles, at least predominantly. These are people who, who don't know anything about Israel and what it means to be a Jew and the promises that God made through Abraham to the people. They don't know anything about that, but they know Jesus in Christ. Okay. So now, let's read chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We're all in the same ugly boat. That's what that means. Verse 4, but God. Hallelujah. Now God steps into the picture. God steps into your life. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us. That means made us alive together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 7. This tells you something about purpose. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. God is saying that Jesus has saved you so that now and through every age, he will show how good he is, how gracious he is, how powerful he is. He wants to do that through your life and through our church. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Verse 10 is telling us, God's telling us here, that when we're saved, we're we're recreated. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. It reminds us of being born again. The, the salvation word regeneration comes into play here. It literally means to be regened. Okay? So we've been made in Christ. There's one of those phrases. Unto good works. That means God has something he wants you to do. Now we are so careful about making sure that people understand that works don't save us, that sometimes I'm afraid we forget about works. But God has saved us to do good works. We're to be a bunch of do-gooders. Okay? Do-gooders for Jesus, for the glory of God. God has saved you. He's created you. You're His workmanship. Why? For purpose. To do good works. That's why you've been made. Just kind of wetting your whistle a little bit. Wetting your appetite to think about 
your purpose, to find your purpose, God's purpose for you. And, and I've, I've said this, but I want to say it plainly and clearly to you. I believe, and I, I, I'm, I know I'm right, that God has a purpose for each of you as individuals. But God also has a purpose for this church, for North Chester Baptist Church. He has a plan for us. And he has a plan for you. And I guarantee you that his purpose for you will have something to do with his purpose for us. God has something he's doing in this world. And he does it primarily through local churches and through the body of Christ, the individuals that make up this church. My wife's teaching our Sunday school class. Did you know that our kids in our Sunday school class have named their own class? little characters, man. They have named their own class. What do they call it? The Bible Travelers. They're the Bible Travelers. I might be joining up myself. They're the Bible Travelers. And, they're, and she's allowed them to ask her questions. Do you know how dangerous that is with children of their age? She's allowed them to ask her. She said, ask me any question you want. She allowed them to ask her questions. She wrote them down and she's going to be working on answering those questions from the Bible for them. Now, she was asked. She was asked the golden question of where do babies come from? How did we all get here? That, that came up and uh, she handled that very tactfully. It was my own son that asked that question. And, uh, but then it, was, it did come up again from another student. She answered that question for our son on some level uh, at home. But it came up in class and Jack said, I was asking the same thing. <laughs> so they've had some interesting times like that down there. That'll make anyone think twice about being a Sunday school teacher probably. Um, but they're also asking some really great questions like, why do we go to church? Like, I know we come here because our mom and dads tell us to, and I know we come here to worship God and to learn about God, but why really? She's going to be able to talk to them about purpose. About, yeah, why? What does God want us to do? Why has He assembled us here? We're not just a Christian club. This is not just about you having a good time fellowshipping with believers in Christ, though it is about that. But it's not just about that. I want to go on. I want to say this too. Just like in Moses' life, God doesn't allow himself to be left out of things. We can try to resist what he wants to do in us, but God's just, it's just his way. He, he's not going to allow himself to be pushed out or left out. Okay? He's going to help you and it's our job to yield to him and to listen to him and not resist. So, number one, our purpose is finding God's purpose. And number two, our purpose is not, I'm going to tell you something it's not, it's not just following your heart's desire. That's what Moses is doing here. He's just following his heart's desire. What's it got him? Some pretty big problems. What was number two again? Our purpose is not just following our heart's desire. Moses' heart wants his people to be free. And that's good. But 
Moses has not yet really begun to know the God who made him. I don't know what Moses knows about God at this point. Do you think there's a chance that Moses could be confused about God at this point in his life? He, he has grown up in the land of gods. They had more gods in Egypt than you could shake a stick at. By the way, our missionary friend that was here on Wednesday night told us that in the land of India and in the religion of the Hindu religion, they're creating more gods all the time. The longer time goes, the more gods there are. And they said one difficult thing about sharing the gospel in the land of India is that some people hear you talk about Jesus and look at Jesus and they think, okay, I'll add Jesus to the equation of all my gods that I have. I think he said to us that I'll take Jesus, that people would take even a Bible and sit it on their shelf next to their other gods and worship that as, as God, as one of their gods. They've missed the point, haven't they? It's possible that Moses is confused about God. Uh, he's learned, he's probably learned like every other Egyptian about all the other gods. Pharaoh himself was even looked at as a god. By the way, there was one Pharaoh. I, I came across this in my research. There was one Pharaoh, I think before Moses' time, that tried to make all the people worship one god. I'm not exactly sure who that god was or if it was himself that he was trying to get them to worship only him. I don't know. And the people absolutely rebelled against that Pharaoh. I think he was killed. I think he was assassinated for his attempt. And the, the order of their plurality of gods was restored. That was so important to the people that they killed their own Pharaoh, their own king. Um, Moses is trying to follow his heart. He's not yet really begun to know who God is. But God cannot be left out of our purpose. In other words, trying to find purpose and meaning in life without God and knowing Him and following Him is dangerous. And it leads to, to big problems. Psalm 37 and verse 4 says this, Delight thyself also in the Lord. And he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now I'm saying to you that finding your purpose in life is not just following your heart. It's for, it first begins with God. It's first delighting yourself in Him. Knowing Him. Loving Him. Rejoicing in Him. And then he begins to put what he wants in your heart. I think this is one of the coolest things, one of the most wonderful things about God, is that he tells his children to obey him, but then he, he doesn't stand over us with a billy club or even a Bible, but he's, he, can, he can work in our hearts in such a way that he makes us want to obey him. Is that not exciting? I give my kids plenty of things to do that they don't like to do. And I can't make them like cleaning their room. But God can make us like what he's given us to do. Your purpose in life, when that's God's purpose, is something that you will delight in because you delight in him. 
When you love Him, you love what He loves. When you love Him, He fills your heart with things. I can remember when I trusted Jesus as my Savior. God began to do things in my heart. Things were happening in here. Nobody told me that I was supposed to find God's purpose. I don't remember anyone saying that anyway. Maybe I'd heard a message like this at some point. I don't know. But God was doing something in my heart. And he, he, he made me want things. I said it this way one time. I got a new wanter. When I got saved, I got a new wanter. All of a sudden, I wanted things that were different. I wanted things that were new. I wanted God. I wanted to know what He wanted for me. I was also at an important age of life, time of life, where I was, uh, I was 19 years old, so you're kind of thinking about what you're going to do with your life, and you're making those kind of decisions. And I got saved at that time of life where, where you're asking the question anyway, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And God began to point his his uh, point, you know, give me the direction that he wanted me to take for my life. Um, he, uh, he made me want things. He gave me a desire in my heart for things. And I believe that God will continue to do that throughout my life as I look to him and as I follow him. He's going to keep putting things in my heart that he wants me to do. I think I've said it to you this way before. There are things that God has put in my heart that I believe He wants to and will accomplish. Okay? And it's not just that they're in my heart. No, it's because it's His heart. They're His things that He's put. And He wants to do the same for you. Now, lastly, God's purpose for you is finding that purpose. Finding His purpose. God's purpose uh, is not just following your heart's desire. But at the same time, it kind of is because you're trusting God. You're, you're delighting in Him and He's putting those things in your heart. It's not... I, I, what, I want you, what I really want you to understand is about that is this. Don't look at God's will or God's plan for your life like, oh great, God's going to make me do something I don't want to do. Wrong. God's going to make you want to do what he wants you to do. I think some people, when you think about purpose and when you think about God's plan for your life, is he's going to make you do something hard or something that you would hate. I don't think that's true. Do you think these missionaries that keep talking about the Davises, do you think the Davises dread going to India? I told my wife, I said, I think this guy, he loves India so much that even if he wasn't called to be a missionary there, I think he'd go live there. He really loves it. He loves the food. He loves everything about it. He wants to be there. He knows so much about it. I talked to him again on Thursday. They stayed the night here in our prophet's chamber. I talked to him again Thursday. I mean, he can just rattle things off about, I asked one little question. Man, here it comes. God's put that in his heart. God's given him that desire to do that. It's what he wants to do. They're not like, oh, India, ah, you know. They're like, wow, we want to go to India past the curry. So, and that's serious. Um, so number three, our purpose, which is really his, but our purpose in life is not accomplished by force. It's not accomplished by force. 
Now, <laughs> I got you know, I have kind of a crazy imagination sometimes. And when I look at this story of Moses, and I, <laughs> what kind of a macho, tough dude was Moses? You know, we, we believe he's about 40 years old right now, okay? He's, so he's a full-grown man. He's probably been given like a, a military education. This is a militaristic kind of society. These were the days when the pharaohs went and fought in the wars, you know. I mean, it's... What kind of a macho, tough dude was Moses that he's out patrolling around, checking, you know, checking in on his brethren, and he sees one of the Hebrews taking a beating at the hands of one of these Egyptian taxmasters. And Moses, the Bible says it looks this way and that, that they're down some alley somewhere, he looked, nobody, coast is clear, nobody's looking, and somehow, maybe with his bare hands, Moses kills this guy. I mean, that's like Bruce Lee tough. That's kind of crazy. Moses kills this guy and buries him in the sand. Now, if if you didn't just read it, you'd say, you're making that up. No, it's real. That happened. Moses killed him, buries him in the sand. It's one of the wildest things that happens in, in Moses' life and in, in the Bible in general. Now, for Moses to think that he can free his people with his own two hands, he's kind of crazy. There's a whole lot more of him than them, right? There's a whole lot more Egyptians than there is. There's one Moses. There's a bunch of Egyptians. But there's also a bunch of Hebrews. And I think Moses had it in his mind that if I'll defend my people, and maybe they knew, maybe a lot of the people knew, Moses is actually one of us. Maybe they knew the story. Maybe it was their dream to live in that palace. Maybe they thought Moses was a little uppity. But when Mo Moses, I think he believed when he came down to their level, when he rolled up his sleeves, and when he defended his people, and when he killed that Egyptian, I think he thought, word's going to spread throughout the Hebrew camp. They're going to rise up with me, and here we go, baby. Let's take them on. I think that's what he thought. But let's look again at what happened. Verse 13. And when he went out the second day, Behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. Now he sees these guys fighting, two Hebrews fighting. And he said to, to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? Like, hey, he's on our team. Why are you fighting him? I thought we'd be fighting Egyptians by now. He said, this is what the Hebrew guy says, verse 14. Who made thee a prince? And a judge over us. That's kind of an old way of saying. Who in the world do you think you are? Intendest thou to kill me? As thou killest the Egyptian? That's not. What Moses thought would happen. Because Moses. He knows something about his purpose. That's not in his heart by mistake. But the way he's going about it is a mistake. 
And the way he's going about it is, he's gotten ahead of God and he's trying to do it himself. The work of God, the work that God gives us to do cannot be done by the will of man, cannot be done in our own strength. The Bible says this in Zechariah 4, 6, God, God said this to his servant Zerubbabel. He said, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. He's saying to Zerubbabel, what needs to be done can't be done by an army. Moses, what needs to be done can't be done by an army. It must be done by God. It can't be accomplished by force. If Moses thinks that he can pluck Israel out of the devil's hand by himself, oh, the devil laughs at that. If we think we can serve God, if we think we can live for God outside of God's power and strength, the devil laughs at that. Look at the outcome. The, Hebrew, the Hebrews won't follow him. And the Egyptians want to kill him. And what does Moses do? He runs. Out of the country. He is a fugitive now. We'll pick up the story there. Next week. But you and I are learning that we have to be in sync with God. With his timing. And living in his strength. Here's, here's some action to take this week. First of all, I want to ask you this. Are you a redeemed child of God? Do you know that you've been saved? Are you confident in that, that Jesus is your Savior? Not think so or hope so, but do you know that Jesus is your Savior? He wants you to know. He wants you to be assured of that. And uh, He will help you with that if you come to Him. Christian, are you frustrated and discouraged? With how things are going in your life. In your Christian life especially. Maybe you're trying to live the Christian life in your strength. Do you need to align your heart with God's heart. And follow his leading. I want us to keep learning. About Moses. And next week we're going to see Moses begin to figure this thing out. Now what's going to happen next. Don't read ahead. What's going to happen next. Is. One of the most exciting miracles in all the Bible. I know you're going to have to read it now. And I won't be upset if you do. But try not to. Okay? Because I want to tell you next week what happened. So you'll be here next week to hear about it. What's God saying to you today in your heart? Is His purpose and plan for you something you've even thought about? Maybe not. Will you begin thinking about it? Will you begin praying about it? I dare you. To ask God about it. Because he will tell you what he wants. He will guide you. He will bring you. And listen, it doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what stage you are in the Christian life. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with Jesus. We need to constantly be seeking him. And, and watching him unfold that purpose before us. Oh, how exciting. Could be a little scary. But we know he'll be with us, and so it's exciting.